Well, today we come to the end of our series on discipleship. Um, we have spent the last four weeks, and this will be our fifth, I believe, in our on this topic of what a disciple is and what it means to be a follower of Christ. Um, I asked you some tough questions at the beginning of last Sunday's sermon, and I'm not going to go through those again. I'm not going to re-preach last Sunday's sermon, that one point, uh, but I do want to pick up from there and continue with some ingredients for joy in discipleship. Uh, if you do not remember, let me remind you what a disciple is. Basically, a disciple is a Follower. The 12 disciples were followers of Jesus. Those in the first century that came to know Jesus became disciples of his because they followed literally what he said and what he did. Our end, the, the end goal, the finish line, so to speak, of this life is to be like Jesus. If you are a believer, if you're a Christian, a Christ follower, if you're a disciple, the end goal is to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to talk like Jesus, to walk like Jesus. That's what we've been promised from our Father. That's what we've been promised that this life is to be about. It's not to see how many zeros we can have on the left side of the decimal in whatever account that we have. It's not to see how many guns or how many toys or how many purses or how many shoes that we can have in the closet, in the garage, in the driveway. It's, it's not to see this life is not to see how many places that we can travel, how many friends we can have on Facebook. This life if you are a believer, is that we will be like Jesus. So every day, every week, every month, every year that we are a believer, we are to be closer and closer to looking like Jesus. This life for the believer is demonstrated in the letter that Paul wrote to the people at Ephesus. We have looked last week at a portion of this prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't have a copy, you will see the verses on the screen. But turn with me there, and I want to read this prayer that Paul had for the church at Ephesus. And I want to talk about some of these ingredients for joy and discipleship. Here's the prayer. Chapter 1, verse 15, down through the end of the chapter, reads as following. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. 
remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Last week we saw one of the ingredients... For joy, and that was the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you weren't here last week, I, I never, well, I seldom, I can't say never after today. I think this is the first time that I've ever said this. If you missed last Sunday, you may want to go back and listen to the sermon. I, I don't, I think I'm a terrible preacher. South Carolinians, I really do, and Mississippians. I think that I am absolutely terrible. Although I love to do this, I, I don't think I'm very good at this. And that's young, young chewing that at lunch in just a little bit. But last week, there were some things stated from the Word that was brought out that you will need. If you don't need it right now, you'll need it in just a little while. You'll need it next week. You'll need it next month to remember when you're going through this thing called life, there is to be joy. And one of the reasons that there is joy, an ingredient to the whole puzzle, to the whole cake, so to speak, is the gift of the Spirit. This morning I want to share with you three more ingredients. I've combined a couple of them. Actually, two ingredients. I've combined three or four in the rest of this prayer. So, the first point, last week we saw the first ingredient of joy is the gift of the Spirit. Second, today we see that the second ingredient for joy in discipleship is encouragement. It is encouragement. Have you ever been around somebody who had the gift of discouragement? Don't raise your hand or say their name. Have you ever been around a person who had the gift of encouragement. I like to be around those people. I like to talk to those people. Why? Because of what they're going to give back to me. If I don't talk to you much, no. Um, if, if, if you have the gift of encouragement, and every single one of us should be encouragers. We should be encouragers. Why? Because we all struggle. Because we all go through trials. Because we all get knocked down. Because we've been to some degree where every single one of us are right now. And we need to encourage one another. Paul 
was an encourager. We don't think of Paul as an encourager that much. We, we think of Barnabas as the encourager. But Paul, in this prayer, is encouraging the church at Ephesus to have joy. He understood what they were supposed to be. They were supposed to be disciples. They were supposed to be followers of Jesus. They were supposed to be growing in their faith each and every day. And he understood that. And he is coming alongside them. And he is writing to them to say, hey, stay in there. Understand whose you are. You are in Christ. Twelve times in the first twelve verses, which we didn't look at, He says, you are in him, you are in the beloved, you are in Christ. Understand that, church at Ephesus, understand that, church at Riverbend. You're in him. Be encouraged. Think with me, for some of you it might be a long time back. For others of us here it might have been this week. Have you ever just sailed in a day? I mean, you got to the office and, and you're like, whoo, you know, it's, it's, maybe I don't have much to do. Maybe I, I just want to put off all the things that I have to do today. I can just put it off till tomorrow and just check out. If there was ever a person in the place that we find him that could have just sailed in a day, it It would have been Paul. I mean, do you understand where he's writing this from? He's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus chained to at least four people. He's got every every extremity. Both arms, more than likely both legs, his waist, they are chained to four soldiers for four hours. And then those four soldiers are changed out for four more soldiers 24 hours a day. And Paul, who could have just sailed in the day, sailed in a week, sailed in a month, sailed in his whole term there in prison, he writes to a church that he loves and says, let me encourage you. Here's what I've seen in you. I've seen your faith. Here's what I've asked God for you about. I've asked him that he would give his Holy Spirit to you. I've asked that he would enlighten your hearts. I've asked that he would allow you to see the hope with which you have been called. I've asked that God continually, without ceasing, I'm asking that God would show you how great he is. Paul is encouraging the believer. Let me share with you four, three or four things about this encouragement. Verse 16 states that he doesn't cease to give thanks for them. Paul's there in jail. And he is thankful. Some of you, I, I've spoken with you in the past week. I've spoken with you in the past month. I know where you are. I know some hardships over the past year. Some hardships over the past couple of years with parents with kids with jobs with help just this past week um, the Tillman and the Harrington household has uh, seen some some hardship um, 
Um, I, I stated this way to both my mom and my mother-in-law yesterday. I said, are y'all trying to outdo each other? See how many neurosurgeons y'all can see in a, a short period of time. My mother came home from UAB yesterday with uh, two of her vertebrae fused together. My mother-in-law went to the grocery store late Friday afternoon and decided, you know what, I want to see a neurosurgeon. So she fell and cracked a couple of vertebrae in her neck. And, um, you know, you get one of those phone calls and you're like, okay, who do I go see? Where do I go see you? Um, You get a phone call. Or you get brought into the office and the news is not good. The news is I don't need you anymore. You're fired. You you get news sitting in a doctor's office that you just can't handle. You go have a nice discussion with your spouse and it is a heated one. There is encouragement. Paul says here that he does not cease to give thanks for the church. Some of you might be saying that's the roughest week, the roughest month. 2013 is the roughest year that I've ever walked through. Maybe so. Maybe not. But I can say this. When Paul was writing this letter of encouragement to the church, his situation was more grim than any of ours. And he's writing a letter of encouragement. He's writing a letter to the Ephesus church saying, it is about to get dark. I'm telling you right now, it's dark for me because I'm chained here. Why was he chained? Was he chained here? Was he in prison because he was a child molester? No. Was he in prison because he was uh, drunken and disorderly? No. Was he in prison because of simple assault, aggravated assault? Was he in prison for attempted murder? No. He was in prison because he proclaimed verbally the gospel. What are you in for, sir? Ah, proclaiming the gospel. This past week, I sat in my office with a gentleman, and and we had a conversation. And I have stated it from the platform, and I'll probably state it again. If I live to be 70 or 80, I won't make it. But if if I live that long in this land, the direction that we're going... I may find myself just like Paul because I stand and proclaim the gospel. The gentleman that I was having a conversation with thought that it would happen before 2016. And it might. I do know that before he comes back for us, it's going to get worse. I believe that. But it's also an opportunity as we sang. The fields are white under harvest right now. Right now in Hernando, the field is white for his harvest. If we, the church, would be about the job that he's called us to be about.
And he's writing this to Ephesus, and he's saying, Ephesus, the fields are white to harvest. Here's some encouragement. Press on. Keep going. Paul then asks God to allow this church to have the eyes of their heart enlightened. Paul wanted the church to see spiritually better than they could see physically. This is only done by God. One commentator put it this way. He says, as in our physical life, so it is with our soul. Virtually everything depends on our sight. And he gives this illustration. He says, King Zedekiah had his eyes gouged out by the king of Babylon. If you read the Old Testament, you see that King Zedekiah was there in his palace in Israel and he had his eyes gouged out after he saw his wife and all of his kids murdered. That was the last thing that he saw and the king of Babylon said, you know what, that will be the last thing you see and he gouged his eyes out. I'm not going to kill you, King Zedekiah. That's the last thing he saw. And then in chains, he escorted him. He was taken to the city of Babylon. Do you know anything about the ancient city of Babylon? There were seven wonders of the ancient world, and one of them was the city of Babylon. In the city of Babylon, there were so detailed, tiled palaces there was a, a, what's called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon that one of the kings made for his wife because she was homesick for the flowers of her homeland. And he said, you know what, I love you so much, here's what we're going to do. And he just extravagantly made for his wife these huge gardens. It became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But because Zedekiah had his eyes gouged out, even though he was there in the land, even though he was in Babylon, he couldn't see. You and I don't need more truth. We don't need better truth. That's impossible. Here is the truth. We don't need more. We simply need our spiritual eyes to be open to the truths that surround us. And Paul prays that God would allow that to happen to the church at Ephesus. He prays that that would happen. And I pray that that would happen for us today. Paul asked, as he's encouraging them, he asked that they might know the hope to which they had been called. This is not Greek class, but it is an important word for you to come to understand. There's two words in the Greek language for know. You can know something factually. We kind of talked about this last week. Or you can know something experientially. Something that grabs a hold of you, that you've lived through, that you've walked through. And Paul says, I want you to know. I want you to experience the hope to which you have been called. What have you been called to? Ma'am? Sir? What have you been called to? If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus stated it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came. I came that they may have life. 
and have it abundant. This abundant life isn't just out in the future forever. This abundant life is right now. And it's an encouragement for you and for me to understand the hope that God has called you and me to. Fourth encouragement. Paul prays that they would understand their inheritance and that it is sure. God has given us the riches of this glorious inheritance. He has given us his all, his son, his spirit. He will finish what he has promised. River Bend, might you and I rest in knowing that God will walk with you. He'll walk with you through that doctor's appointment. He'll walk with you through that discussion with your spouse. He'll walk with you through the news flash from the telephone about the son, about the daughter, about mom, about dad. You and I are to know that he has given us a down payment what Paul wrote about in verse 11 down through verse 14, that he's given us this inheritance is sure. The down payment is his spirit who has come to dwell in us. And might you and I be encouraged today. Some of you here today are going through the motions. You're you're going through the motions for a number of reasons. Maybe the spouse, the wife, the husband said, all right, let's go. And you're like, I really don't want to go. You're going through the motions. In Acts chapter 3, I want to show you a word picture or an illustration of what it means to go through the motions and also what it means to be focused. If you look there on the screen in verse number one down through verse five of Acts chapter three. Here's the story. You probably have heard it before, but it states this. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. This man was going through the motions. I want you to look at and understand their eyes, and see the difference between the man and Peter and John. Both of them were at the gate beautiful that day. Both of them were there at the same time. Both of them were experiencing the crowd and the gate. This man was looking around. He saw Peter and he saw John. And he asked him, give me some alms. Give me something. But here's how he did it. Give me some alms. Give give me something. And he's just looking around. 
He is broadcasting, and Peter fixed his gaze on him. The man saw Peter and John, and he saw everybody else. Peter and John saw nobody else except that man, and they were intent and focused on the man. Some of you are going through the motions. You came last week, you came last month, you'll come next week. You're just, you're just everywhere. You cannot have joy and be a follower of Jesus if that's how you are. If you're just going through the motions, you can't do it. You've got to be like Peter. You've got to be like John. Focused in one purpose. You won't ever see Jesus if you're looking at everything. You won't ever see Jesus if you're looking at everybody around him, around you. Set your gaze on him. The third ingredient for joy, and the final one that we will get to, in joy for discipleship is the immeasurable greatness of his might. Read those verses in verse number 18 down through verse 21 with me again. It states this, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope with which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. According to the working of His great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Where did he seat him? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. As we close out our focus today on discipleship and the joy and the ingredients that bring about it, I want to remind you of what Paul had to say to the folks at Ephesus. God is great. He's great. Put your focus on Him. He's greater. As I was in seminary over in Wake Forest, North Carolina, I went in my first semester to a preaching class and um, I wanted to see not only if this guy that I was going into could I knew he could teach well after a few weeks taught well about preaching I wanted to see if he could preach well and so I went and started going to the church where he was uh, preaching where he was uh, interim pastor at First Baptist Durham North Carolina and Dr. McDeal preached one Sunday night out of Psalm 103. And the title of his message, I don't remember every title of every sermon, but this one hit me. He said, how to talk to yourself and not go crazy. That's how he entitled Psalm 103. And every time that I read Psalm 103, and this past week was a, a time where I was reading in my devotion time and I came across Psalm 103 and I thought about this message this morning I thought about Dr. McDeal and and his 
sermon, how to talk to yourself and not go crazy, but I thought about this message as trying to get across the immeasurable greatness of God. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. They'll be on the screen. And I want you to think about God and His actions as I read these verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Might you and I remember The immeasurable greatness of His might. Come to focus on God and His greatness today. His immeasurable might and glory and majesty. His great, awesome, glorious, spectacular worth. And He desires for you to know Him, to experience Him, to love Him. Not just with your mind, not just facts about Him, but with your whole life. You are to follow this God. You and I, you and I are His disciples. We are not greater than He is, and you and I will have joy. When we're obedient to Him. Not, not before we're obedient. Not when we are disobedient. Not when you and I won't obey. But when we obey. Jesus stated it this way and I close. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. But seek first. But seek first. The kingdom of God. And His righteousness. And all these other things. They'll be added to you. Heavenly Father, we have come today. Father, we have come to sing hallelujah. What a Savior. Father, we have found ourselves singing. That this is the cry of our hearts. That you would give the nations and the islands that they would come to know you. 
we have heard with our ears. We have read with our eyes how great you are. That you no longer look at us through our transgression, but Father, you have forgiven those as far as the east is to the west. Father, you desire that Brian Tillman would follow you. You desire that every single one of us would follow you. Might we understand this encouragement? Might we understand this joy? As we leave here today, might the goal be in sight that we want to be like you, walk like you, talk like you, live our days like you, and truly be a disciple of yours. If you're here today, and you don't know Jesus, you're here today, you've been going through the motions of this thing called religion, this thing called Christianity, let me give you the opportunity to come. Let me introduce you to who Jesus is, and how much He loves you. The altar is open. Maybe you've been down this week. Maybe you're beaten down mentally, emotionally, the altar is open. Come, find rest. Come, find peace. Come, cry out to this great God. If you want me to pray with you, I'll be more than happy to. Why don't you join us as we stand and as we sing. The invitation is for you this morning.